Most days, we can all use some help. Make it better help. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash AMR. Start living a better life today. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Join today at thrivemarket.com slash AMR to get $20 off your first order and a free gift. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined once again by Katie Snevice. Hello again, Katie. Hi, Sarah. Two weeks in a row. I know. Yay. I know. I know. I just love you so much. So glad to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so you told me about a um, a lovely lofty goal that you suddenly are scheming up. Um, <laughs> See, I have to remember to keep these things to myself because you are always going to hold me to it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this is, this was a moment and we'll see if it comes to fruition, but I was, I'm always so intrigued by the women who are gunning for, uh, running a half or a full, whatever race distance you want in 50 States, Adrian's doing it. I believe Katie Ormson is doing it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that it sounds like a really neat thing. I've realized that half is my favorite distance. And okay. so I, I kind of, I kind of want to go for it. I mean, over the next, well, hopefully I have longer than 20 years, but over the next, you know, long time when the kids are out of the house, what that else was, am I going to do? I mean, truly, was, that was the part that got me. You're like <laughs> that. You told your husband, Dan, uh, what else would I have to do when the kids are out of the house? <laughs> he, he suddenly looks crestfallen. <laughs> I know he's like, well, we're going to play golf and travel and you're going like, to greet me at the door in just an apron and put <laughs> nothing else on <laughs> his dream. Yes. Mom, I hope you didn't hear that. Um, yes, yes. And so he kind of rolled his eyes at me, but now that you've said it now that it's on the podcast, I guess I have to do it. Right. Right. And what prompted this all was that the registration for Missoula marathon and half marathon opened up on the first. And And what did you decide to do, Sarah? Well, and for the third year in a row, Dimity and I have been invited to be the (laughs) headline speakers of that event. Hopefully the third time will be the charm and the the race will actually go off. So yes, I have started training for the marathon twice Yes. Uh, um, in you 20, got all the way through. I mean, most of the cycle, I got, right? I got pretty close in 2020. I mean, it was to, um, gosh, early, early to mid May and the race is at the end of June. Oh man. So yeah. And that on oh, the training cycle was going so well, of course. Uh, right. Um, yeah. It was, I was doing heart and soul. So training by heart rate for the first time and all along I'd been like such a doubter and I mean, I believe I, I've always believed that it works. I believe the science I'm not sure. negating science, but I just thought, Oh, it's so not for me. Oh, I hate having too much equipment and da, 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 da. And I was like, wow, this works and I am enjoying it. And it's bringing, you know, new freshness to my running and all this stuff. And then, you know, got, got canceled. And then this year it got canceled really early on. And thankfully the, um, I'll admit now the race organizers told me ahead of time. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I remember they made the official announcement on what turned out was my birthday on March 4th, just for anybody who's keeping score and <laughs> duly noted. <laughs> yes. Adding to my Google calendar now. Yeah, and, uh, and so a couple of people uh, tweeted at me, they're like, Sarah, so sorry that you got such sad news on your birthday. And I'm thinking, 
That's old news. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew about that a month ago. At least you hadn't like grinded through a 20 miler by that point yet. Right, right? I'd be right, really mad if right. I had already done my 20 miler and then it got canceled. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, I don't know why I'm laughing because it calls to mind. I was training for one marathon. I am not remembering which one it was. And I had done a 20 miler that morning and my parents were in town. This was quite a while ago. And I went to Target to shop with my mother and my older daughter, who was just a a babe, like a, uh, if she had learned to walk earlier, she would have been a toddler, but because she didn't walk Aww. until she was 17 and a half months old, I consider her still a baby. Because, baby. <laughs> so then I was carrying Phoebe down the escalator. It was a two-story target. And, um, I don't know if this is a common practice, but, um, that they'll have in the middle, the, uh, between two escalators, you know, the up and the down, there'll be a yeah. place to put your cart. Yes. And, Okay, so there's one in Chicago. I okay. we don't have them here because you don't got those fancy things in Denver. Yes. yes. So, so, uh, so I'm carrying Phoebe um, on the down escalator, and a woman doesn't know to put the shopping cart on that thing, so she just pushes it onto the down escalator. <laughs> oh so, and then let's That's not go. Funny. I'm sorry. And, and then let's go of it. <gasps> and, and I look up and I see this shopping cart flying through the air at me and Phoebe. Oh my gosh. And, and so like total mom thing to do, I turn to protect the baby yeah. so that, so the thing clips my left shoulder, like the back of my, you know, so like my left trap and the woman like hightails it out of the store and, um, didn't say uh, anything to you. Didn't say, Oh, didn't say anything. And this really cute man comes up to me when I get to the bottom and he's like, are you all right? And I'm like, this is the cutest, nicest man. Well, it turns out he's an undercover security officer oh. for Target. And oh. I'm like, and you're I'm like, like, I am now. Thank you. <laughs> My first thought was, oh. <laughs> you are the only, per only person in America or in the world who would be like, I'm okay because you're so cute. Truly. I love so, it. <laughs> so, but the, the moral of the story was I was just like, oh, no, you don't. I've done my 20 miler. You are not taking me out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that could have been a lot worse than it was, but yes, oh. you know, once you achieve that first 20 mile or not first, I was yeah. obviously not the first for you. You're like, I can do just about anything. Okay. But, but yeah, I just was like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> going to be get, get taken out by a shopping cart. It's going to be before I put in the 20 miles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And it could have, it could have really been quite disastrous, but um, um, it's, it's all fine. I'm sitting here. It is all good. You're all good. So, will you yeah. tell me about what you did this past weekend? I will. I will. Uh, I took, um, Phoebe who now can walk and is no longer a baby. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, Phoebe is a sophomore in college here in Portland at Portland state university. And she is seriously considering transferring to university of British Columbia, which is in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and so, and if she did it, uh, her, and if she and her boyfriend are still together, they would move together. He would become, um, uh, an electrician, an electrical, um, an electrician's apprentice. What am I trying to say? Okay. And so they wanted to see though, if they liked BC well enough to move. So, so I was very honored. They asked me to take them. So um, cute. That is a huge honor for your, I mean, I know she's not a teenager, but you know, you just, I think that's very sweet. 
Yeah, it is. And so I should mention that neither one of them has their driver's license. So, so oh. they needed somebody to drive them. But <laughs> but so but it turns out that um that the boyfriend whose name is Torson had his mother was going to had offered to take them. And oh. so so then they circumvented that by asking me. And then while we were in Canada, I said, Hey Phoebe, did you consider asking your dad to take you? And she mm-hmm. literally just laughed at me. Oh, <laughs> hopefully Jack and Torson's mom are not listening to this right. podcast. I know Jack doesn't, so <laughs> <laughs> I can say anything about him. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we made the nearly six hour drive up to BC and we had to get COVID tests beforehand. And we had to get ones that, you know, we'd get the results back quickly. So that was a whole ordeal. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. And then the, I was, you know, I was kind of nervous about getting in and the, the border guard, the only thing he, he really seemed puzzled by why Americans would want to go to the university of British Columbia because they have to pay, you know, they don't pay in state tuition, whatever in province tuition or whatever. He said, you know, you'll be considered an international student. And she's like, yes. He's like, (laughs) you know, you'll be considered an, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Does my Honda Accord like <laughs> hybrid not say we can afford the college to you? Like, okay, I know it's a stretch for us, but but we can make it work. We can do it. Don't be stop being so judgy. Okay. We're just trying to get an education here. So so it turns out um so Trisha, my running buddy, she is um from Canada originally. And so she said that um that really the concept of private colleges in Canada is not widely, I don't want to say accepted, but it's really people kind of think like, well, why would you pay so much money? Why would you graduate college in debt? Because, um, you know, um, I don't, I don't, since I don't, they're not state colleges, but government colleges, Uh you know, um, uh, public institutions, that's what they're called public institutions, um, that no one can understand why you go to a private institution. Is so, this one a private or a public institution? So it's public because it's University okay. of British Columbia. Yeah. But so it'd be like, will, yeah. you know, it's it's like your niece who lives in um, Colorado goes yeah. to University of Oregon here. And, right. you know, right. some, you know, I might be thinking like, well, why'd you, why would you pay out-of-state tuition at U of O when you could just go to University of Colorado or, you know, something like that or yeah. CSU or something like that. So All about the experience, right? I mean, that's the American way to graduate and just accumulate debt over life. <laughs> sure, get As started early. <laughs> who is still paying off college loans. Um, I completely understand how that goes. Oh my gosh, we were paying off Jack's law school loans and, and he is not a practicing attorney. Might I <laughs> underline that fact? Um, oh gosh, until probably a decade ago. So oh, yeah, I mean, it's just... I, I, well, that's the, you know, TMI, but like we, I've year after year, I'm like, Dan, can we just, it's like $3,000 left at this point. I'm like, can I just, you know, can we just wipe this? Cause I'm sick yeah. of paying it every single month for the last 3000 years. Yeah. Like the interest rate is so low though. Like just continue on with it. And I was like, Oh God, I just want to be done with it. You know, it's just, but it is, uh, that's a whole other podcast, but it is sad about what happens to people when they're graduating from college and the debt they accumulate. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so it was lovely. Um, I had some great runs in Stanley park along one of the beaches. Um, yeah, really, really great running, great food. Um, the university is just gorgeous. Um, and it was all very reminiscent because, uh, Molly and I ran the um, Vancouver marathon in 2013. Ooh. So I was like, Oh, this looks familiar to me. Oh, I remember that. That was and I, I, actually when I was coming out of Stanley park. Um, 
I saw the then straight away toward where the finish line was. And I just remember it seemed endless. I just thought, where is this finish line? Cause it was <laughs> the, the race that year was May 6th. It was way too hot. The race oh, yeah. starts late. It starts at eight 45 and it in Canada, you know, by that time of year, the sunrise is really early. Like at 5. AM it is dazzlingly bright. Oh, wow. So that, 845. It felt like high noon. Uh, sure. Oh my gosh. That would be, I just went thinking about how hot that would be. I, I couldn't do it. Oh, it was so hot. And so, um, and the, um, race goes through a lot of Stanley park and there's these twists and turns cause it hugs the coastline. It's on a seawall. And I mean, it just, you'd turn a corner and there would be just people, you'd see people just sitting on the curb, just unable to go any further. And, and Molly was about 20 minutes behind me. And she said, it was just like the walking dead. Oh, um, sure. Yikes. So and they'd run out of cups and people were just holding their hands up at water stations. <laughs> well, we were, I, since I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, um, we were talking about the Chicago marathon that they actually stopped in the middle. Of oh the yeah. I don't remember yeah. what year it was, but they're like, right. you guys, in how mad would you be if you were like about to cross mile 18? So the people oh, yeah. mm-hmm. 30 seconds in front of you got to finish, but you mm-hmm. had to stop. Um, yeah. but yeah. I, I, I mean, I know at least one person died that year. So it, it, yeah, I mean, you never know. I, obviously we know that the weather can completely right. change the course of what your race day looks like. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. So, um, well, as usual, our intro chit chat has nothing to do with the topic on today's (laughs) episode. Um, This episode is part of our run in her shoes series in which we amplify a wider array of voices in the running community than are typically heard. Today's guest is well known to many Joanne Lee Molinaro, AKA the Korean vegan. Now an avid runner, Joanne started her blog in 2016 after adopting a plant-based diet but it was summer 2020 that her popularity exploded thanks to a TikTok that went viral. Now this lawyer by trade produces 60 second recipe videos in which she shares stories about her family and herself rather than focusing solely on the food. Joanne's book, part cookbook, part memoir debuts this month. It's called, you guessed it, the Korean vegan. As I mentioned, Joanne is a dedicated runner. She's running the Chicago marathon this Sunday Katie and I, yeah, Katie and I look forward to our conversation with Joanne, which airs right after this break. Help doesn't need to be on the way because with BetterHelp, it can be online. With BetterHelp, you can start communicating with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and affordable. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and send a message to your counselor at any time. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And that was really important to me when I first used the service. As was knowing that BetterHelp offers a broad range of licensed professional counselors who specialize in a wide range of issues, including but not limited to depression, stress, anxiety, anger, grief, trauma, and sexual slash gender identity. I am so grateful for BetterHelp. For months, months earlier this year, I was searching for a family counselor to work with my husband, our teen twins, and myself. It was truly impossible to find a therapist accepting new patients. With BetterHelp, we were talking to someone within days. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com AMR. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com AMR for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. We all have limited resources, including the two biggies of time and energy. 
For me, sometimes it's grocery shopping that just drains me. That's why I'm so glad I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Thrive Market works directly with each of your favorite organic brands, so you get the highest quality products at the best price with member-only prices. Thrive Market has monthly or annual membership options to suit your lifestyle. Shop everything from ethically sourced pantry essentials to sustainable meat and seafood to non-toxic cleaning and beauty products. Plus, you can easily shop by diets and values like keto, gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, fair trade certified, and more. Thrive Market orders are shipped for free and delivered with carbon-neutral shipping from their zero-waste warehouses. They deliver what you need so you can spend more time on what matters and spend your time and energy doing the things you love. I'm a creature of habit, so I eat the same thing every morning for breakfast. Steel-cut oats cooked in milk, topped with vanilla Greek yogurt, fresh fruit, sliced almonds, and purely Elizabeth grain-free granola. Before finding Thrive Market, the granola was a total splurge. But the membership pricing is so reasonable, I can now enjoy it every morning. Join today at thrivemarket.com AMR to get $20 off your first order and a free gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash AMR for $20 off your first order and a free gift. Thrivemarket.com slash AMR. Well, welcome, Joanne. We're delighted to have you on the show. And I have to share before, um, before I uh, jump into this that my, I have um, three kids and two of them are 16-year-old twins and they had a bunch of friends over and I don't know why the topic of the podcast came up. And I said, Oh, wow, we have, you know, this great chef coming on this week or, you know, and I mentioned who you were and they're like, you have Joanne Molinaro on your podcast. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, you know her. And they're like, oh, like, and they start like talking about your whole life story and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, you guys pay attention. And suddenly I could see this like look of reverie in their eyes. <laughs> so, oh my like, God. That just made my day. Literally <laughs> like that always makes my day. My colleagues at work, they're like, oh, I'm finally cool with my college kids because I'm partners with the Koreans. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so I'm not sure why, you know, 16 year olds are, um, you know, really digging Korean vegan food and running and all that stuff, but, but it has gained newfound respect, um, from their friends for me. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. And thank your, uh, twins for making my day. That really made me smile. <laughs> oh, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> Joanne, before we get to food, which we're really excited about, let's talk about running, um, for people who haven't seen your TikTok or blog, tell us about how you became a runner. Well, Katie, I love that question because it assumes that I'm comfortable calling myself a runner. Oh, oh no. We hear that all the time. I know. I'm sure. And I think you probably hear it more from women than from men, if Mm -hmm. I'd hazard a guess. Um, And I certainly fall into that category. And this is funny because I literally just had a chat with my running coach and my running team. And still, I struggle with that title. But I started running when... I, oh, this is shortly after I separated from my ex-husband. The divorce wasn't yet final. And it was a very fraught time for me emotionally. And I was eating my pain as, as we're wont to do sometimes. And I realized, you know what? I, I need to get in shape. I need to feel healthier. I need to look healthier. All of those things that you sort of tell yourself during times like these. Mm-hmm. And I lived right next to the lake. Um, and in Chicago, there's this lakefront path that literally goes for like 20 miles. 
And so I was like, you don't need fancy equipment. You don't need a gym membership. You don't even need to buy new shoes. You have plenty of gym shoes. Just put them on and go for a run. <laughs> and I started doing that like two or three times a week. And let me tell you, it started with a 0.75 mile route. Like it was so <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> I I had better than nothing. That's what I always say. Exactly. I had to stop in the middle for a break. I was really not used to running and you know how it is ladies. Like once you start and you gain that sort of confidence, even just like knowing my route, like knowing Mm -hmm. where to go was Mm -hmm. like such a confidence booster for me that allowed me to tag on, you know, until I did a full mile, then I did two and then I did three. Mm -hmm. And I think for me reaching that three mile point was a huge like success. Like, wow. Now I feel like, Hey, yeah, I run. Like I can say that. Yeah. And so it started with that. And over the years, it just kept adding and adding. And then of course, when I started participating in races, then it took on a whole new different meaning and level for me. Mm-hmm. I actually also started running along that Chicago lakefront in my twenties. Yes. It's my most favorite place to run in all the places I've been in the world. I love it so much. Um, and speaking of Chicago, I hear you have a big day on Sunday. How's your training going for the marathon? Well, the training is going really well. I mean, my, my coach has been very humane uh, because he knows (laughs) it's like a really like, you know, um, crazy time in my life right now with the book launch and everything that's going on. So we knew from the very beginning that the goal was simply to cross the finish line Mm -hmm. that has since been reinforced that message, given the weather we're anticipating, it's supposed to be like 80 degrees. Oh my gosh. Um, and like a 70% dew point, like what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I saw when I felt so bad. Yeah. 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 I looked it up on, on my weather app yesterday when I was making the notes for the show and I'm like, no, no, it can't be that. It's, and <laughs> it's the worst. Like my coach is like, this is like one of the worst weather days I've ever seen for a marathon. So he oh, told man. me this morning, he's like, honestly, run as slow as you can drink water at every single aid station, enjoy mm-hmm. yourself, have fun. This is like a long, long training run. This, you know, mm-hmm. that's the way you have to treat it. And Hey, look, that's like the perfect thing to tell me. Cause I really do want to just get out there, wave to my friends and followers and mm-hmm. drink lots of Gatorade. <laughs> yes, I get it. Um, that was my first and only marathon so far two Aww. years ago in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I have said this on the podcast before. I will never run another marathon unless it's in a big city. Um, and starting in Chicago was just the best. I realized this was before COVID, but the spectators along the route, hopefully there will be a lot of people out there for you. And that will get you through some of those grueling miles. It is just, and it's, you know, you live there. It's just such a great way to see the city and be to part, you know, go to parts of the city that you haven't been to in a long time. So I hope you enjoy it as much as you can, despite the Oh, me too. Yeah, I think I will. I mean, I think it's, it's a special time in my life. And I think having a marathon sort of help to focus me, Mm. um, has been really instrumental in sort of muscling through some of these big changes that are happening in my life. Yeah. Did you think about that when, uh, when they announced that the book was going to launch in October, did you think like, Oh, maybe that's not the best month to run a marathon? (laughs) Of course. Um, I think that many members of my team were like, "Mm, really? Like, are you sure? (laughs) And, um, and I did think about it and my coach was obviously like, I don't know if that's the best idea for you, Joanne, but 
I, I, you know, I've run four marathons and I know, um, how I get when I'm in training mode Mm -hmm. and I missed that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, so many people miss running races. And of course I miss that too, but I also, Mm -hmm. you know, training Joanne and I hadn't been Mm -hmm. in training for so long. And I was like, no, I I miss that woman who is determined and who's focused and who is, you know, driven to, to the point of being able to run 26.2 miles. And Mm -hmm. I knew need those things to get me through some of the other non-running challenges. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Chicago, as we all know, is an incredibly diverse city, yet the running world is still so overwhelmingly white. So as a dedicated runner in the Windy City, have you ever felt othered on a run or in a local race because of being Asian? Honestly, no. Like, yeah, I have not. And maybe that's just because like, I don't think of it like in terms of, of that, like, I feel like running is so universal you don't need to speak a certain language to do it. You don't need to have the best running gear to do it. You don't need to be rich to do it. There's so many things and boundaries that prevent entry into other things, but running, I feel like isn't one of them. It's, it's one of the most universal activities available to human beings. Mm -hmm. And so I think I always came into running already feeling like, Hey, we're all, we're all in this together. You know what I mean? So I Mm -hmm. never looked at it that way. The only time that I viewed it through that lens was, you know, earlier in the year with kind of spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans, Mm -hmm. I did sort of start to worry like even more. I mean, as women, we already worry, right? Like Mm -hmm. I never leave the house without my phone. Like there are all sorts of things that I feel like as women, we kind of like just do like, Mm -hmm. because we know like we can't always be safe when we're out there. Like I can't Mm -hmm. run in the dark, things like that, you know? Right. But like in, you know, that timeframe, I was also then like extra heightened sense of, you know, being guarded um, about my safety. And I remember I spoke with a woman who was also a runner, who's also an Asian American. And she said that in her area, they had created these running groups, um, you know, with the stated purpose of making Asian Americans in their community feel safer. And that was just so beautiful to me. But again, such a testament to how, you know, boundary free running can really be. I mean, I was not surprised in the least that the running community was stepping up in that way because it's it's very endemic to what I think runners feel for each other. Mm -hmm. I do like to think that runners are just a really kind hearted group of people, right. For, for the most part, I think so. At least I do. I I think it's so inclusive. Look, I will say like, you know, when you see somebody like Des Linden, you know, winning the Boston marathon Uh or, you know, a Japanese American, you know, placing for the, those things absolutely like, Hey, oh my God, I feel seen in a, in a certain way. Um, but I've never felt excluded, not because of, you know, the color of my skin or my culture. Now, I think when it comes to body size, um, athleticism, fitness level, certainly I think those things are a little bit different, but never Mm -hmm. in terms of my culture. Uh, so much of your storytelling, just kind of building on that on TikTok, weaves in calls for racial justice and systemic change. What are some changes you'd like to see in the running realm, um, that could work toward those goals? Well, I think that, um, ultimately the more, um, people of color 
who get excited about running, the more infectious um, in a good way that can be. And I know that, for example, in New York City, there are certainly initiatives and campaigns underway to really um, inspire, uh, for example, the Black American community to enjoy running. Like, hey, this is a cool sport. Like, not Mm -hmm. just like, you know, there's so many other sports out there that I think the Black American community is very familiar with um, and love. And, you know, now running, you know, can be one of them, right? And the same goes for sort of, you know, the Asian American community, um, just trying to get them more involved and enthusiastic about this and, and how do you make that outreach? And I think a lot of it, again, stems from, you know, seeing other Asian American runners placing in these large races or utilizing people, you know, I don't want to like tout myself, but like me, you know, who Mm -hmm. I'm Korean American and I'm a runner. Hey, so you can do these things at the same time. Why, you know, like this is really fun. So I think like so much of it is just like kind of reaching into some of these communities and, you know, sharing with them how empowering running can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. So, so, okay. So I suspect listeners who know your recipes and social media accounts have probably been salivating since I introduced you. So we, so, so let's move on to food. Um, so for starters, take us back to your adoption of veganism. I read a great series of quotes from you in which you admitted I had stereotypes about vegan food. I thought it was just quinoa and kale. I was like, I'm not white. I can't eat that way. So talk to us about your move away from meat. Yeah. So that is exactly how I felt. Um, my, my husband, <laughs> laugh. Yeah. my husband, who's, you know, now my, you know, now my husband, then my boyfriend, uh-huh. he had actually read uh, rituals, finding ultra mm-hmm. was very inspired by that book to adopt a plant-based diet. Now keep in mind, my husband had tried multiple diets that were, you know, claiming to improve speed, stamina, endurance, you know, and, mm-hmm. and many of them had not stuck. So I was like, all right, he's going to try this vegan thing and he'll do it for two weeks and then we'll be back to normal. <laughs> That's what I thought. So supportive, yes. Joanna. I know, I know yes. I was, I, yeah. And to me, like anytime he starts messing around with the diet, I, I immediately get anxious because I'm like, look, I already have a very difficult relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this sense, when he said he was going plant-based, the immediate thing that came to mind was, oh, you're going to take away like, you know, my prugogi and my kalbi and all of the Korean foods that I'd grown up eating. And, you know, like you said, Sarah, I had this very, you know, poor stereotype of vegan food, which many people still have that it's mm-hmm. rabbit food. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, it was a little bit reluctant, but Also, we were in sort of a newer relationship at that time. And I felt that there was quite a bit of promise in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to create a hurdle that didn't need to be there. Although, you know, technically he was the one creating the hurdle. Yes. Um, But I was like, whatever, I can just try it. It's not, you know, going to like kill me or something, especially if it's only for a couple of weeks. And so that's what I did. I decided to try it for a couple of weeks and it was so much easier than I expected. And also, you know, because I was worried about losing some of these foods that I'd grown up eating, I was like, well, I'll take it as a challenge to try and veganize some of those things. And that's basically how the Korean vegan came to be. 
Mm. I would say it's worked out pretty well for you so far. Yes, Julia. it has. As, as he never fails to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of yeah. course. So as a runner, were there any particular speed bumps you had to get over when you started eating vegan, like getting enough protein or, you know, some of the things that we as runners are programmed to really think about, um, how did you kind of bridge those gaps? I think in all candor, like so many times vegans get the, you know, what about your protein question? And mm-hmm. yeah, and I get, I get like being irritated by that. And I think for most vegans, like that's not an issue, but like, as you allude to for plant-based athletes, you do have to be somewhat mindful of your macros, particularly, you know, if you're a long distance runner, because you need to make sure your muscles are getting adequate protein, carbs, and fat in order to fully recover. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, it's an ongoing challenge, but yeah, I do have to worry about my protein. Like, like I'll just put it like very bluntly. Like I do because I run like, you know, sometimes I'll be out there for three or four hours. And (laughs) if I'm not paying attention to that, well then shame on me. So, um, that's a habit that I had to learn one that I wasn't as attuned to before, but I would say like, I don't know necessarily that that was a virtue by virtue of me going vegan so much as it was that I started long distance running after I'd gone vegan, you know? Mm -hmm. So like I'd started running marathons after I went plant-based. And so me being careful about my protein was much more just about making sure that I was fueling my long runs and doing it on a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. Um, from talking to a lot of women runners, you know, we get this question quite often. We know there's a lot of women who are curious and who want to eat a more plant-based diet, but maybe not go all the way vegan, but at least limit their meat intake or eliminate it altogether. What advice do you give to the active people who want to make a shift? Well, I think for active people, again, it's a little bit different than for, you know, people who the average person, you know, like who works out like 30 minutes a day or something, somebody who goes for a four hour run is in a little (laughs) bit different position, right? Yes. (laughs) So I think that in that sense, I think it's always probably a good idea to consult with either a trusted physician or a licensed dietitian or sports nutritionist Mm -hmm. to make sure that when you are making substitutions or even thinking about transitioning to a diet that is pretty different from the one that you currently consume, like what's it going to hurt to talk to someone for an hour to just make sure that you have the tools necessary in order to make that transition as smooth as possible. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is, you know, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. Right. I Mm -hmm. think that is like a great quote for like everything, It is, <laughs> yeah. but I, I also think it's a great quote for, you know, your diet goals. Um, and, and by diet, I don't mean like weight loss goals. I mean, mm-hmm. just like whatever it is that you're eating. And if you want to start incorporating more plant-based food, then I think it's fine to do it at your own pace, which is, mm-hmm. you know, something that all runners should be very you know familiar mm-hmm. with go at your own pace, not at some other pace that somebody's telling telling you, you have to go at, or being dictated by what the person in front of you is doing, Mm -hmm. do it at your own pace. And if that means one meal a week, 
that's fantastic. You know, Mm -hmm. if that means five meals a week, that's even better. Or even if it's one ingredient a week, like, okay, I'm not going to make any meals entirely plant-based, but I'm going to commit to drinking, you know, plant milk instead of regular milk for this week. Like that, that's amazing. So I think that you can pick and choose a way that's suited to your existing lifestyle so that it isn't too costly. That's great advice. Yeah. I love that. Go at your own pace. That's Mm -hmm. um, as you said, an analogy we can all relate to. Yeah. Yeah. So Joanne, your book is so visually stunning and so engrossing um, for your family stories, as well as the recipes. Um, As you wrote the book, what were your hopes in accomplishing? You know, what, what were you looking to accomplish with it? Well, Sarah, thank you very, very much for those kind words. Um, It's beautiful. Before you came on, Katie and I were just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I don't have any mini books in my kitchen and this is prominently displayed on my shelf. It is gorgeous. Really pretty. Thank you. Well, that means a lot. I am not a professional photographer and I was very worried. Um, when the book was put together, I was like, oh my gosh, what if people think that my pictures suck or something? Wait, these, are, <laughs> these are, these are your photos. Oh yeah. I took all wow. the photos. <laughs> oh my, oh my, oh no, 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 no. I envisioned, you know, like a total studio with the pro photographer and the no. overhead lights and all this stuff. Oh my goodness. Well, well, that makes uh, me love it even more. That's oh, thank you. <laughs> no, it was, if I showed you guys the small little corner in my South loop condos is what I lived in our South loop condo. That was literally yep. like the size of a closet. Like that's where I took the bulk of these photos. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. It is, it is interesting, but you know, in terms of, you know, what I was trying to convey, this is my first book and I, you know, very romantically and somewhat naively said, well, I want to write a book that I want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I went back to the books that I grew up loving, you know, these wonderful stories that completely immersed you. Like you, you couldn't tell the difference between what you were reading and reality. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do is create stories that the reader could just drop themselves in for a few minutes. And then, you know, pepper that with these recipes that sort of got their their stomachs as hungry as their hearts. And so that was kind of the goal with this book. And um, it was very difficult to kind of weave those things together. But, you know, having a TikTok that basically does the same thing really, mm-hmm. really helped. Wow. Wow. It's amazing that, um, you know, in this age of everything being digital to say that your digital experience then could translate into paper. So that mm-hmm. um, as an old schooler, that gives me hope. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I definitely have like one foot in either world. Cause I grew up in the paper world world. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously now occupy a very digital one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So for many people, myself included, cooking is about so much more than getting a meal on the table or sustenance in my body. So what does cooking do for you? Well, cooking is very similar to running for me. Um, you know, people have often asked me like, how do you do it all? Like you're a lawyer, you're a cookbook writer, you're on TikTok, and you run. And, um, and I always explain to them, well, I have this like, you know, hierarchy of priorities and running is the very top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is because I feel like I can't do anything else at mm-hmm. the best level. If I don't run in the morning, like, I, you know, I don't know if you ladies can relate, but if I don't 
get my run in in the morning, I feel like the rest of the day is sort of like catch up and like not, oh, yeah. you know, oh. you know what I mean? And I oh, crash yeah. and burn in the afternoon. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And and so like that's not a great way to start any day. And so I love to start my days with my run. I get all my thoughts in order. I think about well, what am I going to post today? What do I need to get done today? What is the story that I want to share with my followers today? What's the meal that I want to cook for us? And similarly, cooking has that effect on me where I can get very meditative and I just kind of fall into it. And, you know, you go from one step to the next. And at the end, you have this wonderful creation that is, you know, like you said, sustenance, but not just for the body, right? It, mm-hmm. it like is kind of a combination of all the thought and the heart that, you know, went into thinking about that dish. So mm-hmm. That is what cooking does for me. Now, obviously the other piece of that for me is then getting to feed people, mm-hmm. um, which I love to do. I love mm-hmm. sharing my food. It, you know, in, in Korean culture, we're not very good at communicating our love through words or physical mm-hmm. affection. And so mm-hmm. food is one of the biggest ways of showing someone how much you love them. And I think I mm. certainly inherited that from my family. Wow. Mm. Oh. I love that because I, I feel the same way too. I mean, there are days where I'm like, oh, I have to make dinner again tonight. And what am I going to make? And, but then I see the joy on my kids' faces mm-hmm. when I put dinner in front of them and they eat every single morsel. And it just makes me so happy because it's how truly I do show my love for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who might be hesitant to serve Korean food or any type of food with spices, so they're mac and cheese, white bread, loving kids. What are some baby steps you can suggest for introducing a wide range of foods to their family? I mean, I, I think that my kids are pretty good eaters. They're 11, 10 and eight. Um, but you know, there are definitely some intimidating recipes in your cookbook that my kids may, you know, kind of be a little hesitant at first to try. So any steps would be great to share with our audience. I totally understand that. I, um, you know, I've been eating Chinese food my whole life. I love Mm -hmm. Chinese food. Right. And when I started trying to cook with Chinese food, I was like, Oh, I know what Chinese food tastes like. I've been eating it my whole life. So this should be a breeze. (laughs) And I, you know, was like, I don't know how to pronounce any of the words in this recipe. (laughs) You know, I don't know what these ingredients are, but I know what Chinese food tastes like. So I know it'll turn out good. And sure enough, it turned out horrible. (laughs) Like, even though I knew what the final product was supposed to taste like the ingredients, that go into making that final product. I'd never tried before. I'd never heard of before. And I just kind of was improvising along the way. And what that taught me was number one was, you know, there's a certain amount of humility that is required in the kitchen. And I think also number two was, you know, how some of these flavors, when you eat them by themselves, how pungent and strong they can be for the uninitiated. Mm -hmm. So I completely empathize with, you know, sort of this intimidation with Korean flavors. And my suggestion is always to number one, incorporate them in recipes that are familiar. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, for example, my husband is Italian American and there are a lot of Italian fusion-y kind of recipes Mm -hmm. in the book, like a lasagna. Um, There's also like, you know, my take on pasta arrabbiata and, you know, supli, which is a a Roman dish. Um, And these I think are far more um, familiar to the Western palate. I think we've all kind of grown accustomed to Italian American cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe adding a little bit of gochujang, which is Korean pepper uh, mm-hmm. sauce or paste to the red sauce. You know, you don't have to add a lot, but it'll add a tiny little bit of heat and also a bit of that sort of Korean kind of flair mm-hmm. to that pasta or, you know, using a little bit of sesame oil for a salad dressing instead mm-hmm. of, you know, simply extra virgin olive oil. That's another way to introduce some of these flavors in a very gentle and non-intimidating way. That's smart. I Sesame oil is one of my favorite secret ingredients. I think I it has it. so much flavor um, <laughs> yes. for just a little bit. Uh, that you need to, to add. So that's, I'm glad that I have one thing down um, for your book. <laughs> I, I, I hazard a guess that you have quite a few things down more than that. <laughs> um, but building on that and in, in kind of talking about a few ingredients that people should really focus on when they're starting to, you know, dive into your book and, and cook some of the, and cook some of the meals in your book. I mean, you do a great job of laying out the Korean vegan pantry, but if you could just give us like three to five ingredients that maybe new to them and any suggestions on where to order ingredients online if their local markets don't carry them. For sure. So gochujang is probably my number one, like y'all should try this sauce. I mean, it's such a great and um, easy to use and like very versatile um, paste. I often think of it as sort of like how tomato paste is used. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times when a recipe calls for tomato paste, I'll be like, hmm, I wonder what that would taste like, gochujang, you know? (laughs) And so, because I mean, they look very similar actually. So it's, I think maybe that's part of why I get inspired to do that is because they look so similar. Mm -hmm. Gochujang is, is a fermented soybean paste that is, um, you know, heated with kochukaru, uh, which is Korean pepper powder. It's like a chili powder. So it's a fiery fermented soybean paste that's also sweetened. So it can be kind of sweet. And um, it's just, you know, I think there's a very popular Korean dish called bibimbap, which mm-hmm. is a rice bowl. And the sauce for that dish is made with gochujang. So that's a great, I think, pantry item that is fun to use, particularly if you like a little bit of spice in your food. And that is probably pretty easy to incorporate in a lot of your existing recipes. If you get creative, you can oh. find that like literally you can find that at most Western grocery stores, like here in Chicago, Jewel carries it. Mariano's Mm -hmm. carries it. Whole foods carries it. Um, But if you can't find it in your regular grocery store, you can certainly order it on Amazon and any number of other places where you can order groceries online. So that's an easy one. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, going back to sesame oil, Katie, like like it's so delicious and you literally only need to add like a teaspoon to mm-hmm. like an entire pot of soup. And it just, it just enriches all of the flavors that are already in that broth. So sesame oil is another one. If you haven't used it before, um, in Korean, uh, in the Korean cuisine, it's, it's toasted sesame oil. So it's not the mm-hmm. cold pressed variety. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that is what makes it like kind of very rich. Um, so 
If you can get your hands on a good toasted sesame oil, you'd be surprised how long it will last because you only need a little bit. It does last forever. Oh, that's, I, love that. I was going to ask that because I've, sometimes I'll look at those and I'll be like, how long have I had that bottle and is it going to go bad? <laughs> so, and I'm also interested that you point out the difference between toasted and now I know cold press because I have both in my pantry and I'm like, do I need both of them? Do they really, t- am I that sophisticated to know the difference between them? <laughs> I mean, to each yes. your own. Um, but yeah, I think you can. And you know, for me, toasted sesame oil, I've had some that have been sitting in my pantry for like close to a year. Like I'm not look, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a nutritionist. So I don't know, like, Hey, like how can it last forever? Uh-huh. Um, I doubt it. Um, but you know, sesame oil can last for a really, really long time. Oh, good. Good. Good okay. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to tell me I need to throw out my mascaras, aren't you? <laughs> that one. Yeah. I think <laughs> I don't know how long you've had it, but it sounds like maybe they need a refresher. <laughs> if they're clumpy, Sarah, throw it out. Yeah. Yeah. My mind immediately goes there. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so I like to consider myself fairly well-versed in the world of food. Um, I lived um, in San Francisco and Portland that, that gains me some credit, right? So totally. Um, yeah. But yet somehow I was never introduced to rice cakes in addition until about two years ago. And I fell in love with them. Yet until I got your book, I'd never cooked with them myself. And I just got to thinking that there's, they have to be a great source of carbohydrates for runners. So can you enlighten listeners about the taste treat that is rice cakes? And, and I want people to know that I'm not talking about the little hard round ones <laughs> that, that you put peanut butter and banana on top of. So, well, first of all, Sarah, thank you for that clarification. I have yeah. to just share a very quick story. So I was doing um, a TV show and they had asked me to provide the recipe. And I was like, well, we're going to make tteokbokki, which is a very, very popular uh, traditional Korean bar food made out of those cylindrical tube-like rice cakes. Uh And so I put that in the recipe and I get to, you know, the studio for the shoot and I get a bunch of those hard rice cake discs. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa, like, wait, there was a big miscommunication. Did you not see the picture? (laughs) Um, So thank you for the clarification. I now understand that it is needed. Um, (laughs) Uh, Those stupid white people. Oh my God. (laughs) Nah. I, I understand. Like, like I said, I've been there when I'm trying other cuisines. Like I, I can't imagine how many silly errors that I must make, but, um, but rice cakes, as you say, is a great source of carbohydrates. Cause it's literally just rice, like mm-hmm. steamed rice, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of salt and water that's shaped into various fun shapes, like, you mm-hmm. know, like tubes or, uh, elongated discs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even seen like little, like mochi ball style rice mm-hmm. cakes, you know, like, oh. get, yeah. And you're mm-hmm. like, you know, delicious, you know, tea and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so they come in these great shapes and you can get them in the frozen aisle at yep. A, yep. an Asian grocery store, or if you're lucky and you get there early enough, a lot of times the local Korean bakeries, mm. they will prepare fresh rice cakes um, mm. in a variety of different sizes. And some of them come in brown rice, which is always great because mm-hmm. I you know, always feel like brown rice is a little bit healthier. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they're chewy. Um, oh. They're dense. Mm. I mean, and they just absorb the flavor of whatever it is you put around them. So if you think kind of like gnocchi, only yeah. a little bit denser and chewier. That's kind of what you're, you're talking about. It's, it's so great. I can eat them plain, like literally oh, I could just they sound delicious. Oh yeah. I, mean, I really do plain. So mm-hmm. good. 
Yeah, they are so good. And so um, it was at the home of my husband's a real estate agent and it was um, some clients that, that um, he'd helped get their house. And so they wanted to I don't know, somehow return the favor. And, mm. and so the um, wife just cooked up just one dish after another. And I just was like, wait, what are these things? And I'm like, they're in the frozen food aisle. Why have <laughs> I never found these before? <laughs> oh my gosh. So good. So now thanks to your book though, I will I'm going to take the plunge. I can do it myself. Oh, you absolutely can. I actually made a uh, takbuki for my entire team at my publisher oh, uh, nice. for a dinner. And I mean, so many people came up to me that are like, this is literally the best thing I've ever ate. What is this thing? <laughs> <laughs> How do we get an invite to that dinner party? Yeah, that exactly. sounds amazing. That was a really good one. And I was very, very honored to, you know, especially during COVID, like I never like got to really see anybody like working on yeah. my book. Mm-hmm. And so to meet all the people who had worked so hard on putting my book together and then to sell it was really an honor and a treat. Mm. That's neat. That's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah. So, so shifting from carbs back to protein, give us a sell job on tofu. Um, I love it, but I know that's not a universally held opinion. <laughs> um, and, uh, We're working to change that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and your recipe, spicy, crunchy garlic tofu could very well change the minds of a lot of people because it is delicious. Oh, thank you so much. And I love hearing that. I, anytime someone says, I don't like tofu and I'm like, challenge accepted (laughs) (laughs) you know, Uh, because I do feel like, wow, like, I don't know what happened to tofu here in America, but somebody did something really bad to tofu. Um, We've messed up a lot of foods in America, as you know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, unfortunately it's just gotten such a bad rap. And I mean, in Korean cuisine, like tofu is you know, like loved it's beloved. It's, it's just another protein, like anything else. It's just like chicken or beef or pork. It's just another one. And so, you know, for me that, um, spicy garlic, crunchy tofu is a great way to introduce people to, Hey, you don't like tofu. Well, let me show you what I can do with tofu. Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. Um, and then what you can do with tofu, it makes me so happy to see so many people saying, Hey, I made this recipe and I hated tofu and now I love it. (laughs) Like that is my favorite thing. And, you know, tofu it's, most redeeming quality is that it absorbs the flavors of whatever you put around it. It is Mm -hmm. a complete sponge. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to put something bland around it, then it's just going to be bland on bland. And then tofu (laughs) deserves the rap that it has. (laughs) No wonder why no one likes it. Then, Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think so many people in, you know, the United States associate tofu with health food and therefore everything they put around it is like similarly maybe not as fun in terms of flavor, but in Korean food, you know, tofu, like I said, it's just another protein. So fry it up, add some, you know, sweet garlicky sauce to it, you know, mm-hmm. like you can bread it and put it in the deep fryer if you want, you know, I'm not saying you should do this every day, but you know, mm-hmm. if, if you're trying to win someone over, treat it just like you would, you know, chicken breast or chicken thighs, you know, do the things that you would do there to make it extra delicious and completely irresistible. Yeah. Giving it that crunch, I think helps a lot. Like when I, um, you know, like coated in, um, cornstarch and then, you know, put it in the oven, then my kids are like, Oh, 
oh, this is, you've done some really great stuff here, mom. This is good. Magic. <laughs> What's this extra you added yeah, tonight, yeah, mom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Joanne, do you ever use soy curls? Speaking of our friend, the soybean. I do. I literally am marinating soy curls right now. I'm psychic. Well, yeah, I think you are. Uh, we're talking about tofu, soy curls, mascara. I mean, come on. We're totally on the same wavelength. Um, but um, I am making my prugogi wasabi melt, which is one of the recipes in the cookbook. And it's sort of my vegan version of a sandwich that I loved to eat before I went vegan. And, um, you know, I had found, I tried a lot of different things when I was, you know, veganizing prugogi, which is essentially a grilled uh, flank steak or Mm -hmm. other kind of um, beef. Mm -hmm. And I like soy curls. I felt like it had a very similar texture and like uh, prugogi, it really soaked up the marinade mm-hmm. in a really effective way. Is it identical to prugogi? Are you going to eat this and be like, I think I'm eating prugogi? No, <laughs> you're not. Like there's very few things that can really do that. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that's really what I want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I love soy curls. I like it because it's not as heavily processed as some of the other meat alternatives. It's yeah. basically just dehydrated soy, you know, cooked mm-hmm. soy. So it's very easy um, for my stomach to digest. And then you, again, just add whatever flavors you want. My, you know, Korean barbecue sauce is absolutely mouthwatering. I don't care what you slop it on. It's going to taste delicious. (laughs) I just feel soy curls are something a lot of people, I knew you'd know about it, but I just, there aren't very many recipes for it. You know, you you go online and Google soy curl recipes and you come up pretty short. So, so I mean, I think some of it is in the marketing, like call something soy curl and you're almost like, already like it's destined for like you know uh the shelf that collects a little bit too much dust like there's right. some of that to it i feel like i wish it were something else i don't know i'm not a marketing guru yeah. but um i think like anytime some people hear the word soy like they automatically have sort of a reaction to it um i hope that changes i know soy milk is is definitely getting much more normalized and perhaps you know in 5 years soy curls will be right next to you know the other really fun items that people are not scared of. Yeah, that's yeah. fine because uh, at Whole Foods, when I, I used to order them online and then I'm like, oh, I'm sure they sell them in the store and they are on the very bottom shelf, even yep. at Whole Foods. I'm like, I'm surprised what? by that. I'm like, yeah. what? Come on, this is your people. Put it up higher. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're so their people. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are very few things, um, few things more satisfying for us runners and as a mom um, for dinner than a bowl. I mean, for a runner, it just has so many hearty things in it. My kids love make your own bowl night. Cause mm-hmm. they feel like they're choosing what they want for dinner when I'm stacked it up with all the healthy things. And I feel like I'm winning there a little bit, right. By sneaking in all yes. the good stuff. Um, so tell us a little bit about, about the basics of building a runner friendly and I'm going to butcher how I say this, but how do you say it? Bibib map? Bibimbap. Bibimbap. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. even fun to say. And I've heard it before. I've just never knew how to say it. So like, kind of tell us about how, what should be the the basis and how should we build around one? Well, I think just kind of stepping back from Bibimbap, but we'll cover Bibimbap, but I think just stepping back in terms of, again, being an athlete or being someone who has to be a little bit more conscientious about their macros or, you know, just their bowl in general, I think it's always a good idea to try and 
view it in fractions, like literally like in my head, I'll draw the lines like, okay, I need this, you know, I need this much that needs to be protein. I need this much that needs to be carbs. And I need, you know, this much to be greens. And I get a little dollop of some kind of fat, you know, to bring it all together. Right. That's kind of how I view the plate. And, you know, those fractions change right now. Obviously it's like, nine tenths of the bowl is carbs, yes. <laughs> you know, because um, I've got the marathon coming up, but most right. of the time it's like, you know, a third, a third and a third. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's kind of the way I like to divide my bowls in Korean cuisine uh, and particular in regards to bibimbap, we have these things called panchan, which is side dishes. I think mm-hmm. like that's sort of a loose translation of it. But if you've ever gone to a Korean restaurant or ordered a Korean meal, you'll notice that before your ordered item comes out, your server will bring out like 15 smaller dishes that mm-hmm. all contain these sort of pickled vegetables or smaller kind of, again, garnishes or side dishes that are meant to complement your main dish. And that is like, the heart of Korean cuisine. Anyone who is a real maven in the Korean kitchen is probably going to have about 15 different kinds of panchan in her refrigerator at any given time. So if I stop at my mom's for like, hey, impromptu dinner, she's going to be really <laughs> mad that she only has eight or nine of them, you know, oh ready gosh. for me. Like that, that's like what my mom, she's like, I have nothing to serve you. And there's like eight or nine panchans like on the table, you know? So when you think about it that way, the Korean refrigerator is the perfect resource for your power bowl, right? Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. you start out with a little bit of rice, which is this, you know, I mean, that's the center of every Korean meal, right? The rice, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have like 15 different panchans or side dishes that can serve as your vegetable that can help with your fat that can add to your protein. Like, you know, uh, cold tofu uh, dishes are often served as a side dish in Korean um, meals. So that is where bibimbap really comes from. It's like, all right, I'm at the end of the week. I don't want to cook anything. And I don't know what kind of side dishes or panchans I have left in my fridge. Let's just take them all out, put them in a big metal, like steel bowl. That's, you know, what you see in Korean dramas, you get a huge (laughs) steel bowl, throw it in with a little rice and some gochujang, which is that paste we talked about earlier and a Mm -hmm. tiny bit of sesame oil. And you have yourself a bibimbap. And, you know, now like it's been popularized into something that has to be very specific. No, you have to have these exact <laughs> panchans in them. And I'm like, no, that's that's really not the purpose behind this dish. It's more yeah. just like the end of the week refrigerator dump into your bowl. <laughs> I mean, it makes leftovers sound so much sexier, right? Then it does. And again, we're talking about marketing. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm going to go off script for a, little, a second and just ask you, do you have a favorite Korean restaurant in Chicago that you can can share with us? Oh, you know, um, Amitable is a really great Korean restaurant. Um, it's like, it's like on divine and that's a really good one. And, you know, the chef there, he is very familiar. Like he's from Korea. He's very familiar with Korean temple cuisine and he does really good Korean food. So that's a really good one. I'm trying to think. Mm. Add that to my list. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I have to say beyond that, for me, it's hard to go to any Korean restaurant. 
I'm sure, just, you know, cause just cause like, I'm like, oh, I just want to eat the kimchi, you know, but I can't <laughs> So like, I basically just stay away from Korean restaurants until I find one that's like way more plant friendly or is mm-hmm. a, you know, committed Buddhist temple, uh, you know, Korean temple restaurant. Mm. Um, I just kind of stick to my mom's house, which is my favorite <laughs> Korean restaurant. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. I yes. hope you tip well. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> well, Joanne, it has been a true pleasure talking with you and we will be cheering for you on Sunday. And, um, Make sure you drink all the Gatorade along the course. I am going to need all the cheering I can possibly handle on (laughs) Sunday with this weather and all that uh, has been riding on my shoulders. So I appreciate that, ladies. And again, it means something special coming from women runners. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Wow. Love her. Love. I mean, she is just so pleasant. And so, um, you know, I, I sometimes I find that cookbook authors, not that I've interviewed that many, but that sometimes they can be a little intimidating, right? Especially when you're talking to someone from a completely different culture that most chefs or most home chefs are not used to using these ingredients. And she just made it all so sound so relatable and so down to earth. And she just is a lovely, lovely person. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Oh, let's hope the weather shifts between now and Sunday. Oh, yeah. I would not want to be running in that marathon on yeah, Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, how about looking toward next week? How about some retail therapy? Um, we have a debut of some new merch in our store next week. It is all based, Katie, as you know, on our six-word stories that women in our community wrote to sum up their feelings about running, like Alana from the Twin Cities who write who wrote the miles return me to myself and that won her a Nordic track treadmill, uh, in one of our giveaways, might I add. Um, so that phrase is on a fabulous teal green lifestyle tea. There's another lifestyle tea that reads the feet start, the heart finishes has this great graphic that keeps the phrase from skewing too saccharine. And then there's a cozy hoodie in two different colorways. Oh my gosh, we're really going big here. Um, Yes, and um, that one reads, my running shoes are actually wings. That goes down the arm and our shoes logo with wings on the left chest. Super cute. Um, One color option is a black camo pattern. I was thinking this morning, I'm like, yeah, I hope I ordered enough that I can just steal one of those from the store. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so those are hitting our online store next week. Check them out at anothermotherrunner.com and click on the store tab on the top. Again, that's anothermotherrunner.com and click on store. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy, tasty miles to you.